good day wherever you may be tuning in from around the world. We're going to be starting here in just a moment as our speakers do join the stage. For those of you who may be joining us for the first time, welcome. I'm your host today, Partner and Managing Director at the Stacks Accelerator. My name is Kyle Ellicott. Uh, welcome to this week's Crypto Internet show. Uh, this is our weekly series where we look at everything that's happening around the Stacks ecosystem and building on Bitcoin. It takes place every week here, same time, same place on Twitter, 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific as well. Today's topic, I think, is very relevant to what's happening around the industry. Some headlines that we just recently had, I'll be sharing here in a moment, but we're going to be speaking about Bitcoin-backed stable coins. Now, before we jump into today's conversation and introduce our speakers, just a quick rundown of how today's session will work. We'll kick off with short introductions, and then we'll go into a panel of discussion around our th topic today. Again, Bitcoin-backed stable coins. And then we'll save a little time and open it up to each and every one of you for Q&A to our speakers as well. So please hold your questions to the end. Uh, and then once I, I call for uh, time for questions, we'll bring you up on stage to be able to ask those as well. And a big thank you and shout out to the Stacks community and to Shannon, who is running point on getting this up and running today for us all. So really big appreciation and thank you all in the community as well. Without you, we couldn't be here, couldn't talk about this awesome subject today and are very thankful for each and every one of you. That said, I think we got one or two more speakers who are just filing in. Well. Do you mind if I uh, do a shameless plug? <laughs> um, if you haven't checked out Bitcoin Unleashed, it's a Stacks event. It's in Miami, Florida, April 5th and 6th. Um, it's BitcoinUnleashed.org. Sign up. We'll be there. We have so many people from the community and around the world attending and some really great speakers. The, the speaker list gets updated um, every few hours every day, um, but we'd love to see a lot of you there. It'll be great. All right, I'm done. <laughs> yeah, it's perfect. I was going to be saving that for the end. So thank you for throwing that out early. Everyone definitely sign up. If you're going to be in Miami, come and stop by. We'd all love to see you. Uh, and Shannon, I've heard a few rumors of some very exciting announcements that may or may not be made uh, at the summit as well. So for all those in the community, make sure you're there. <laughs> Yep, there's a few announcements that are under wraps, but yeah, you're right. And uh, rumor has it there's a really good host at the event, too. <laughs> that is true. That is true. Hoodie and all, I will be there. Uh, shameless plug for myself. Uh, with that being said, I think we're going to go ahead and get started. Uh, we've got just a few more speakers that will be joining us, but uh, I want to jump right into today's conversation. Again, Bitcoin-backed stablecoins, a very relevant topic for this week after, again, some headlines that were announced and just a, a few stage setting uh, points for us today. Right now, the total stablecoin market cap rests around 186 to around $188 billion according to coin market cap in the block, depending on where you may get your data sources. It's in that range. Now, that is of the total $2 trillion. Uh, thank you, Masari, of the entire market cap of all digital assets as well. So a lot happening in this space, obviously a very important piece of the digital 
asset landscape. Now, we do have a stable coin that we have talked about previously here on Crypto Internet Show and otherwise in the Stacks ecosystem, Arcadeco, and their USDA, which was the first stable coin on Stacks. So you may hear that referenced today as well. Also, a major headline that happened uh, just moments ago yesterday and another one today is that uh, Terra, the Terra ecosystem actually purchased about $125 million of Bitcoin as a reserve for its algorithmic stablecoin USDT, which represents about 10% of the total Bitcoin reserves that it holds for that USDT, which will be relevant in today's conversation. And lastly, for those who may not be aware of the definition of what a stablecoin is, we're going to dive into it, but just a quick headline. This is a, a cryptocurrency that is collateralized to the value of an underlying asset designed to maintain a stable market price, helping to reduce volatility that can be seen with other digital assets and or crypto. So if this is your first time joining, I hope that gives you a little bit of stage setting. Uh, that being said, I think all of our guests are here. So let's go ahead and get into quick introductions. Jeff, Hank, I'm going to kick it off with you both. You actually proposed and wrote an awesome article about today's subject. So I'm going to let you give a quick intro for each of you. Some helping to reduce volatility that can be seen with other digital assets and or crypto. So if this is your first time joining, I hope that gives you a little bit of stage setting. Uh, that being said, I think all of our guests are here. So let's go ahead and get into quick introductions. Jeff, Hank, I'm going to kick it off with you both. You actually proposed and wrote an awesome article about today's subject. So I'm going to let you give a quick intro for each of you. Yeah, sure. Hi, thanks for having us. Really appreciate um, all these spaces that the uh, foundation organizes. And also, uh, yeah, I'd love to see you all at the event uh, Bitcoin Unleashed. If you haven't been to an event organized by Shannon, they're always pretty amazing. Um, I'm the co-founder of Mechanism. Along with Hank, we build Bitcoin protocols on stacks. And um, if you don't know Hank, uh, my co-founder, he's a pretty smart guy. So he, I believe, thought of this idea after reading a few other posts, maybe, and um, Kind of worked through it as a really interesting um, approach that I think uh, we would be interested in kind of hacking on and could be very valuable to Bitcoin and also kind of utilizes all the sort of superpowers that Stacks has. So I'll turn it over to him. Awesome. Thank you, Jeff. Yeah, I'm Hank. Um, I'm a Stacks developer, uh, co-founder at Mechanism. Um, yeah, uh, we'll get into kind of the, the concept of the blog post, but um, generally just enjoy thinking about these different DeFi mechanisms and taking putting together, you know, all the amazing research from years and years of, um, you know, different, different researchers and developers. Um, and I think that's what's exciting about DeFi overall. It's like this, you know, massive opportunity space where we have these new, um, sort of building blocks and we can always continually sort of build on top of them and take existing ideas from finance and new things that are possible. And I think that's, what's exciting about, uh, what we'll, what we'll talk about today. Absolutely. And we have a new speaker joining us today. Roy, welcome. A short little intro for those who may not know you RCM. Hi, thank you so much. Uh, and thanks for having me, everyone. Uh, yeah, my name is Rory. Um, I'm the market intelligence lead at Grid, which is a Bitcoin um, mining company. Uh, in a previous life, I was doing um, 
protocol development for a uh, a decentralized fund management protocol called Xtoken. Uh, and then before that, I was at uh, a global macro hedge fund called Discovery Capital for eight years on the trading desk, um, kind of doing more traditional uh, finance stuff. So, um, you know, kind of have been on the financial side, both on the technology and, and kind of tradition and um, TradFi, as, as long as you don't hold that against me, I'll, I'll admit to it. <laughs> all, all, all is safe here uh, in the spaces, so no, no stress for you. Pleasure to have you. Brittany, Manib, quick intros for those uh, few people uh, in this audience who may not know you. Sure. Uh, Brittany from the Stacks Foundation. So we're the nonprofit organization um, that exists right now in the Stacks ecosystem to support builders through grants, education, um, through Clarity Universe, which is how you write smart, con- smart contracts on Stacks for Bitcoin. And also, yeah, putting on the Bitcoin Unleashed event in Miami in two weeks. We would love to see you guys there, as uh, was kind of mentioned. But um, yeah, we're really excited to just support builders in the ecosystem. Mini, welcome back. Uh, a short introduction if, for the one or two people out there who may not know you. We have Maneeb might be on mute. Uh, for those that don't know Maneeb, he's going to be talking all uh, show today. We'll make sure you get his introduction, but he's also the co-founder and CEO of Trust Machines as well, and one of the original founders of uh, the Stacks protocol as well. So um, let's jump right into today's topic. Hank, I'm going to throw this over to you. Jeff gave it uh, as a toss-up in the beginning. Uh, you threw out this idea of a Bitcoin-backed stablecoin, something that would be completely collateralized potentially uh, as a on-chain stablecoin. Now, the difference for those listening on-chain, off-chain, off-chain would be something like uh, a stablecoin that would be collateralized by fiat, for instance, or real uh, tangible uh, physical assets versus on-chain and something that we're going to be talking about today. Hank, Talk to us a little bit about this idea and maybe what it would take to even begin to create uh, a Bitcoin-backed stablecoin. Sure, yeah. Um, uh, Kyle, as, as Kyle was kind of explaining earlier, um, there's lots of stablecoins now um, in the crypto space with a few different approaches. Um, and for the most part, they are pegged to... Uh, the U.S. dollar or some other fiat currency, and I think the the value of this is is you know relatively obvious. It sort of gives us, especially for for Americans, um, we're just used to uh, kind of envisioning our 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 wealth or, or our assets in in dollar terms, and it's also um, what you use to pay rent and buy groceries. Um, you know, at least for the, <laughs> at least until we kind of get to the Bitcoin standard, um, that'll kind of remain the case. And so that's, that's been the majority of the, the target behind, um, you know, stablecoin development so far, but there's, um, you know, some issues behind that. I think one of the more, uh, potentially obvious uh, downsides of having a fiat-backed stablecoin is that um, fiat is actually not that stable. Uh, especially, you know, these days, uh, I think that rings more true than ever. Um, you know, we see published inflation rates of you know eight percent. If you look at some sort of assets, it's even higher than that. And so, if all you did was held all of your assets in U.S. dollars, um, you'd actually have less um, purchasing power over time. Um, and I think this purchasing power is, is kind of the core concept that I want to get behind. Um, and so 
what what some projects I, I think um, notably uh, that I think have inspired this um, a major inspiration is called Rai R A I. It's a Ethereum team. They're called um, Reflexor Lab. It's kind of the team behind it, and they built this concept that they call dampened Ethereum. Um, where instead of pegging to some fiat amount, they're trying to create a stable asset that represents a stable amount of purchasing power over time. And so purchasing power is, is like, you know, um, what does it take to buy one gallon of milk or one house or um, one, you know, large basket of goods is kind of what how you could think of, of, uh, of purchasing power. And so... Um, Using using uh, Bitcoin as sort of the backing behind this, we want to create something that is relatively stable to the purchasing power of of Bitcoin itself, getting away from from fiat. So, <clears throat> so that's sort of you know the one inspiration behind this is like focusing more on purchasing power than fiat. And then the other is that we have this interesting. Oracle, um, that's somewhat a metric of, of price, which is difficulty. Difficulty is um, this metric that basically is correlated with the total hash rate in Bitcoin mining. Um, and this helps us maintain a consistent uh, block interval for, for, for the Bitcoin chain and the Stacks chain, uh, where as more miners come on, Blocks can be found more quickly, and so difficulty is adjusted every two weeks to try and uh, maintain a 10-minute block interval. Um, and this is um, really interesting because it's one of the more decentralized oracles that you know I think are available, especially in an on-chain context, um, <clears throat> because you can imagine over time. Uh, difficulty is related to the purchasing power of of Bitcoin itself. Um, as Bitcoin has more purchasing power, which you, which you can think of as price in USD, but also just in in you know the purchasing power of of any basket of goods, difficulty should adjust. Um, so, I think I'm getting a little bit into the weeds here, but um, it's this combination of of using this unique oracle source. And and trying to focus more on purchasing power than than being pegged to to one specific fiat currency. Hank, real quick on the the Oracle source, you mentioned a time frame of of two weeks, a two week adjustment period or a period of adjustment every two weeks. Why that time frame? Is there anything specific about two weeks? Um, you'd have to ask Satoshi, uh, but, <laughs> but I, I think, uh, well, I'm definitely not the right expert here. In fact, I'd really love to hear Munib's perspective. Um, and I think Rory could have some interesting perspective on this as well. But when you consider block time, um, you want some level where if it's too fast, uh, blocks actually cannot be sort of propagated around the network, um, quickly enough. You can imagine if it takes, uh, five seconds, you know, using some networks to to send a message across the world, then um, if your block time is less than five seconds, uh, you're just going to end up with a ton of problems. And it basically relates to decentralization. And there's some balance between decentralization and speed where, um, you know, I'm not 100% sure if 10 minutes is the perfect uh, answer, um, but I think that's that's basically what it's trying to get at. 
Yeah, I think I can I can speak a little bit here, but uh, that's correct. Uh, so it's, I think it's a decentralization question because what you're what you're getting at is that for a truly decentralized global network, you want people to be on their normal laptops with a normal internet connection and be able to keep up with the blockchain, right? Because because if you can't run a full node yourself, then you're really just trusting somebody else. Uh, so that's that's kind of like where uh, where this comes from originally, right? The the second thing, which is I feel like it doesn't get talked about in the industry as much as it should, is people started getting used to like you know subsecond finality type of systems, right? And one of the downsides, like you know, it's actually very logical if people think about it. So if you have subsecond finality, that means that a transaction happened very quickly. It's confirmed, uh, not just confirmed, it's like finalized, right? Not even prob- probabilistic finality. It's completely finalized, meaning it cannot be reversed at all within a second, right? Done. Great. Uh, putting aside any of the bandwidth requirements for keeping up with such a chain, uh, like what happens if there was some sort of a protocol level problem or attack or a catastrophic failure that got into the subsecond finality, right? So with Bitcoin, you have probabilistic finality, meaning that the network can self-heal. It can go back. Anyone, any miner can go back and say, ignore the last three blocks. I'm going to start building the chain from T minus three blocks, right? You cannot do that on the instant finality blockchain. So what ends up happening in practice is that these blockchains go offline. Uh, I don't want to point fingers, but you know, an example would be how Solana went offline. And then nobody knows how these chains come back online because it's effectively a hard fork that happens and a hard fork that is controlled by certain certain actors, right? Uh, but people don't even fully understand it. That, hey, this is what happened in the background. And it is happening because, because of the instant finality that Bitcoin doesn't have. So whenever you hear instant finality, you should also hear that this network cannot self-heal. It will always require a hard fork uh, from some party to come in and fix any errors that that happen. So I think that that's the second angle, which is again a decentralization angle, that these networks cannot self-heal in a, in, a, in a decentralized way. Thank you, Manib. Uh, Rory, any, anything to add on to that? I didn't have anything to add on that, that specifically. I actually just learned a lot. Thank you, Manib. That's perfect. Uh, Jeff, Brittany, anything additionally to add around what it may take to build a, a Bitcoin-backed stablecoin or uh, anything around Oracle's role in that fact? Uh, and if not, I've got a few more questions for each of you as well. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I've been listening to some of the other folks in the ecosystem. Um, you know, I think Tyco from Zest Protocol which is built on stacks had a, a great thread about um, stable coins and, and the different things that can open up. I think the importance of having not just one stable coin on stacks, which I know that USDA is, is the first through Arcadico, but having two um, actually just makes it easier to transact in certain DeFi scenarios where you may want to hold your asset and not take on more volatility um, you know, during that holding period in order to make a payment or to make a trade. And so I think it just really will bring a lot of utility to stocks 
to have an additional stablecoin. Um, that could mean that it's a stablecoin that already exists on other chains, but then becomes supported in the Stacks ecosystem, or it could be, you know, a new native um, token. So I think what Terra, you know, was announced in the news um, of doing a Bitcoin-backed one is great because it's more native to the currency that a lot of people denominate their uh, crypto or stacks holding in anyway. But to me, it's it's kind of, um, you know, just a realization that there's a lot of other tools that could be built on top if we do have this base layer as a stablecoin. So in some ways, it's not about the stablecoin itself. It's about having um, just more utility uh, for anyone who wants to do interesting financial primitives. So I'm, I'm very excited about that, but I'm learning a lot on this call, too. Let's drill down on that. That's a perfect uh, question to move into, Brittany, and that is what applications could bring utility and or development for those builders out there with a or to a um, Bitcoin backed stablecoin. There's many mechanisms that have been teased out in the past, whether it's decentralized, those in the big bucket of decentralized finance, DeFi or DEX, DEX to borrow and lending, DAOs, payments, maybe even non-fungible tokens. I, I want to throw this question to each of you and hear your thoughts as to what applications could bring utility. Jeff, I'm going to start with you uh, since we haven't heard from you yet. And then I'm going to go around and want to get everyone's opinion on this. <laughs> oh man, hot seat. Um, let's see here. Applications with a Bitcoin backed stable coin. I don't have anything super, super interesting or novel to mention other than, you know, stable coins are massive on, on, on Ethereum and, I want to say, I, I'm not sure if I'm right on this, but I think Curve is the largest DeFi protocol that exists. And, um, and it's entirely just a stable swap to add liquidity so that you can basically you know, move in and out of positions uh, or you know, enter and exit with stable coins with like minimal slippage. I mean, that's kind of what it does. And so there's definitely a big product there. I know that for sure, but I'm going to let other people talk. Rory, I'm going to come to you next on this one. What applications could bring utility or, again, development opportunities for a Bitcoin-backed stablecoin? Yeah, um, I, I have a couple really... I've been, I haven't been able to stop noodling on this since um, I kind of first saw the blog post. And I had a couple questions for the big brains um, in the audience and, and on the stage, but I wanted to reflect a couple thoughts. So, um, you know, first, I think that... Um, I think that the... A Bitcoin-backed stablecoin with an elegant design, with an elegant oracle design that uses the, you know, the red-in headers of of, of Bitcoin um, via Clarity's tight coupling, you know, being built on top of that, I think is so so interesting. But my first thought was, okay, you know, I'm I'm trying to think about how would I use it, and I'm almost thinking you could use derivative, you could do some derivatives, where you know the the faster the change in difficulty um, would you you kind of take the derivative of that, and you can use that to kind of back into okay it's not just that you're trying to maintain stable purchasing power but you're actually looking at the volatility of bitcoin maybe that's not the right way to think about it but i'm just kind of you know throwing some spaghetti at the wall um you know the other thing i, I was thinking of is that i think in the past when we've seen a lot of volatility particularly like in may 2021 during the china ban when a lot of hash comes off the network at one time you see a change in the uh, amount of time in between blocks and so I believe that's also in the block header and could potentially be used for like a volatility derivative, something along those lines. Um, then lastly, um, and I know I'm kind of talking about everything maybe but the, the stable coin, but I had this idea of um, 
if you can read in the the block header, then you're getting the previous hash. And if you're getting the previous hash, you're essentially getting a true random number generator uh, every 10 minutes. And my understanding, and I would ask kind of Maneeb and the other big brains, is my understanding is that getting true random number generation is a really, really difficult um computer science problem to solve and in order to in, in having that could also unlock maybe a potential suite of applications that could work in concert with with this um stablecoin mechanism you know and my you know immediately the first idea is kind of lotteries but there's a whole lot of giveaways and lotteries and a lot of different applications that i believe you kind of you kind of use true random number generation as as a base for that let me know if i'm totally off base but that was kind of those are kind of my thoughts Maneeb, any, any thoughts on that? And, and Roy, you're not on base. This is perfect uh, to toss these types of things out. Yeah, I think, I think in, in, uh, I'll just make a quick comment on the random number stuff that uh, part of what enabled us to build stacks was having a, uh, a like a verifiable random function on the Bitcoin side, right? So people can build up on that primitive. Uh, to build some of some of that functionality, I'll I'll, I'll have to kind of like dig deeper, uh, but that was my first hunch, right? Because you need that type of uh, verifiable random function on the Bitcoin side for the stacks uh, layer to actually work, right? So I would, my mind immediately goes to that primitive. The hey, can you use something like that uh, to 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 build up on it for 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 random number generation. But I think stepping stepping back a little bit, like that's that's more in the weeds. Uh, at, a, at a very high level, I, I actually think that people are not not thinking big enough, like with these Bitcoin-backed stable coins, like in, in, in the sense that, uh, like imagine that this could be the way that a stable currency exists in a local geographic region. Right, so let's take a nation state for example. Uh, if you if you don't want to price things in Bitcoin, because I think it's entirely possible that Bitcoin remains in price discovery mode for decades to come. Right, so people real people people will start realizing that this asset is extremely valuable, but it's in price discovery mode right now. It's not going to be stable, but it they know that it's appreciating. Right, so we have had gold backed currencies. Similarly, you can have Bitcoin-backed currencies, and those could be relatively more stable on a day-to-day basis in in a nation-state, right? So what we are really talking about is Bitcoin literally replacing gold when gold used to back currencies, right? And you're, 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 you're issuing these in a digital format. So right now what you're seeing is most people are trying to basically peg to the dollar. And the decision by Terra to come in and actually have a Bitcoin reserve, I think it's a it's a critical decision for them. Like imagine the amount of uh, thinking and diligence and alternatives that they would have looked at. And then eventually they've decided that they're going to bet on Bitcoin and they're betting on that for, 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 for reasons. Right. And so if, if a stable coin is gravitating towards Bitcoin and one of the, one of the larger ones or one of the ones with, with, with a lot of momentum at least right now, then that there's, there's a lot of signal there. Right. And, and I think the, unique opportunity that the Stacks community is really sitting on is if you look at like how Terra is doing it, it's a pretty much a manual process, right? Like they uh, basically went out and sold, locked up Luna to a bunch of funds. So they got cash and they set up a uh, nonprofit 
uh, foundation and then they have a, a some sort of multi-sig address so they're doing uh, market buys and putting bitcoin into that multi-sig right? it's a very manual type of a process but it is, it is very significant and what and what people can do through the capabilities that you have in stacks is that you can try to make it more democratic you can let anyone participate in this thing you can basically give anyone an incentive that we are building a bitcoin reserve to issue a stable coin and i think technically right now the best thing you can do uh, market buys and putting bitcoin into that multi-site right it's a very manual type of a process but it is, it is very significant and what and what people can do through the capabilities that you have in stacks is that you can try to make it more democratic you can let anyone participate in this thing you can basically give anyone an incentive that we are building a bitcoin reserve to then issue a stable coin and i think technically right now the best thing you can do is probably uh use something like the magic bridge and the actual actual uh, reserve would be an xbdc you get the benefits of like hey um this it has it, it has a very clear price peg to bitcoin right but you are lacking you know some of the decentralization security properties of just keeping it as bitcoin i think the next step would be uh if once there's more progress on uh the right back problem where the stacks contracts can actually do a direct write back you can actually leave the bitcoin on the bitcoin main chain right so it's some sort of a script that is the reserve and anyone and people are basically there's capital formation that remains on the bitcoin side which is which is more secure but then it can be used in in, in a smart contract that is issuing uh, stable coins I, i think like obviously there's some r&d work required people are tinkering it but these are solvable things they're very close and i think the unique opportunity that the stacks op- community is sitting on right now is we are actually much further along in terms of uh bridges to bitcoin in terms of native bitcoin swaps in terms of other functionality bitcoin main chain right so it's some sort of a script that is the reserve and anyone and, and people are basically there's capital formation that remains on the bitcoin side which is which is more secure but then it can be used in in, in a smart contract that is issuing uh, stable coins I, i think like obviously there's some r&d work required people are tinkering it but these are solvable things they're very close and i think the unique opportunity that the stacks op- community is sitting on right now is we are actually much further along in terms of uh bridges to bitcoin in terms of native bitcoin swaps in terms of other functionality and even the community is very bitcoin oriented right so if there is any place uh in the crypto industry right now that should really double down on bitcoin based stable coins it's, it really should be stacks because other other people will have to build these things right they will have to build better bridges and they're doing it i, I think we over time you'll see that a lot of other crypto protocols they would try to embrace bitcoin in one way or the other but with stacks like it's not like a side thought it is the main thing that this this uh, project is really doing it's all about the the bet on bitcoin and and being as tightly integrated with bitcoin as as possible hank anything anything to add if not i do want to go down in the weeds and get a little bit 
technical on some of the challenges that could arise. But before we get into those, anything else to add on to Maneeb's point or additional applications you see as opportunity for a Bitcoin-backed stablecoin? I would um, just say I support the message. Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry. Oh, no, no, no. Perfect. I was going to say, uh, I think I, uh, nothing much to add. I, I tend to support the message. You know, I, I, um, I love that you have started talking about Rye because I think Rye has been really forward thinking about, um, you know, working with some, some, what they call friendly forks and some, some friends of mine, uh, I'll give a shout out to Volt Protocol, Kirk Hutchison, that are kind of looking at different ways to do different algorithmic stable coins for different users. And so I think talking to, you know, t- talking to, okay, you know, you have a hodler who doesn't necessarily want to go into Ethereum, but, but has to pay some, wants to hold 80% of their Bitcoin, you know, 80% of their Bitcoin, you know, as savings, but understands that they need to have, they need to pay mortgage. And so 20% of that over the next year needs to have some correlation to being able to pay their mortgage. I think that that's really interesting. I think talking to people in their, in their sovereign, you know, their, their sovereign nations and their specific circumstances. And um, there's, I just think that the use cases for stable coins and for these types of applications are going to be as myriad. I, I really subscribe to the Brian Arm strong kind of take on on once you drive the you know once you drive the marginal cost of, of messaging to zero we all started sending a, a million text messages and we're going to send a million payments and we're going to need a million stable coins so that's that's kind of my my broad view with that being said hank i'm going to come back to you on some of the challenges and then roy i would like to hear from you as well jeff maneeb on, on some of the challenges or pitfalls that could come from a bitcoin back stablecoin and hank you mentioned a few of these in your article but again i would love to hear everyone's opinion but uh hank kick us off yeah i think the 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 big challenges are less so relating to um bitcoin as collateral um i think there are a lot less challenges with that than you know basically any other form of collateral um but more so this concept of using uh difficulty as sort of the price oracle and that's that's simply due to um difficulty not being a very perfect measure of the purchasing power of bitcoin um i mean today if you wanted a more stable measure of of bitcoin's purchasing power uh fiat would be would be more accurate um and so but but i don't think that's necessarily true um in the long term and uh it's it's just not a solution um if you want to build in the world that's robust enough to even be um you know, living longer than, for example, the U.S. dollar or any fiat currency. Um, and so, you know, figuring out, you know, how you can use difficulty as some, you know, measurement of purchasing power, I think is really interesting. Um, in the in the thread um, and some of the conversations around the post, people had great ideas around sort of moving averages, um, even factoring Moore's law. That was a really interesting idea from Jude. Um, but, you know, essentially trying to um, get more accurate around, uh, you know, how to how to interpret the difficulty measure. Um, I, I think that's that's probably the main thing that sort of would have to be worked on. Can I just ask a question? Hank, I, I sort of got yeah. the impression that this this like when we think of a stable coin, we think of a pretty tight correlation with the dollar. But my sense is that in the real world, this thing would actually be a lot more volatile than we sort of have come to expect. Mm-hmm. Um, does that sound right to you? Like, I guess I'm curious about like how much volatility actually we actually have here, and how much of a problem that that mm-hmm. might be, or or mm-hmm. might it might it like stabilize over time, et cetera. 
It's a, it's a perfect question. I think, um, yeah, even, even kind of understanding what might this volatility be is I think part of the research challenge. Um, if, if this was to be pursued, I, I'm not sure, but it definitely would not, you know, in the short term be very stable when measured versus, uh, something like the U S dollar, um, other stable coins, I think, and yeah, in the short term would certainly be more stable on that front. Um, and so it's, it would be basically trying to find, Number one, you know, are there mechanisms we can design to get this more and more stable? Um, and number two, really just targeting users who accept that um, potential lack of short-term stability um, in favor of, you know, something that really maximizes longevity and decentralization, um, which I think are, are just really in line with sort of the Bitcoin uh, philosophy. Anita, before you answer, I do want to address, I see a lot of questions in the audience. Uh, we are going to take a break here in just a moment for Q&A. So do request uh, if you have a question, and I'll, we'll bring you up on stage in just a moment. But Anib, to you, what potential challenges or pitfalls do you think uh, may be relevant with a Bitcoin backed stablecoin or anything else to add on to Hank's point? I, I think like for any stablecoin, the longest living challenge is always like, is the coin going to go off peg or uh, how can you maintain decentralized collateral for it? Right? Like that, that's really the biggest challenge. If you look at a lot of the stablecoins, they ended up uh, effectively having centralized uh, stablecoins like USDC or others as collateral to maintain their peg, right? So then people could argue that you're actually not really a decentralized stablecoin because to maintain the peg, you're actually relying on a centralized actor, right? So I think that that, that remains a big challenge. And I think that's, that's part of the appeal to the Bitcoin reserve on the, uh, on the UST side, right? The, the, the Terra, that they are trying to be more, more of a decentralized collateral based uh, stablecoin. Uh, and I, I think it's a, it's a little bit like we don't know like if it will stay on peg in the in a, in a very long term, but the more Bitcoin collateral they have, the better the probability of that, right? So they're basically they're basically in a way trying to say that hey, we will make this work because we will end up with enough collateral, but you really have to dig deeper into the protocol and incentives to see is it something that is only stable short term or can it stay stable in 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 the long term as well. So I think that's. That, that to me basically remains the biggest question mark. Uh, we know that the more centrally controlled stable coins like Tether or USDC, they work, right? Like you, you, you trust the entity and they're able to kind of like, uh, kind of like issue that. But the decentralized one is the, is the bigger question mark. And to actually go back to a point Rory made as, as we get ready to start uh, taking questions here, you know, as the barrier to entry comes down, the cost comes down Rory, you mentioned uh something around you know thousands of, of stable coins and want to toss the question to you first is is there or could there ever be an event where we see too many stable coins and not just maybe in the market overall but for a particular ecosystem is there a key number or a minimum maximum limit that you see for stable coins in and around the industry 
Yeah, I think that's a very fair question. You know, on one hand, I immediately feel like an idiot when I say that because I think that you know the the risk of fractionalizing liquidity, of fractionalizing interest, of 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 kind of you know. D- d- distributing all that to the point where there's just not enough liquidity in any one underlier to to kind of support the 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 use cases is it's so clear and obvious and it's, it's sort of seemingly and seemingly sort of a foregone conclusion to me on the other side you know i think about like how how you know how many pez conventions there are and Pez dispensers and magic the gathering and you know small sub and kind of all these different fantasy worlds that are small small subsets of each other and kind of the internal you know the the and everyone kind of has their own little um some of them kind of come up with their own currencies and 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 barter systems and and ways of of interacting and so in that sense like i think we're already kind of there where i don't know if there's an upper limit i think that all of that is just going to be it's kind of like with with e-com penetration and internet penetration and i know this is a tired story to probably a lot of people on on this call but you know if we're at you know whatever one to five percent crypto penetration worldwide which i don't even know if we're there don't have it off the top of my head and, and we, that just kind of keeps increasing you're just playing this exponential game where there's just so many people that have these that that have shown that in the in the in, in meat space they're already kind of doing this in in different ways um you know that being said i think that what you do need to do is it's it's like any platform there's a chicken and egg problem where you know in order to make it work on stacks and kind of to see that flourish um you need to kind of turn you know, either stacks or uh, or the stablecoin stacks or, or something into kind of the the um, reserve currency for the next cultural wave, which will be you know NFTs or some of the applications coming on. So you know, it, it's not a, it's I don't think that there's an upper limit. I think it's already kind of happening uh, in meat space, and that's just going to keep migrating into the digital space as kind of culture migrates digitally. But it doesn't mean that our our work isn't done. Perfect. And I want to jump over to Sam real quick. He had his hand raised in the audience for a question. Sam, welcome to the stage. Toss out your question. Yeah. Hey, everyone. Uh, this is Sam. Um, I had more of a, a, a few comments and then also a question kind of to, uh, you know, and ended out. One of the things I wanted to kind of introduce myself, um, I'm Sam, the, the founder of uh, Frax Finance. Uh, Frax is actually the, the second largest algo stablecoin after uh, Terra. Uh, for some of you in the audience that, that might not know, we're uh, really huge in the Ethereum DeFi ecosystem. We have about 3 billion uh, Frax in circulation. Terra has about 15 billion, so it's, it's a little bit bigger than us, but uh, we're both uh, fractional, you know, stable coins. And what's interesting is Frax kind of came up with the concept of having fractional backing. In fact, we named it after uh, the the mechanism, fractional algorithmic, we named the stable coin Frax. But what's, what's really cool, and I, I wanted to jump in in this uh, um, space and kind of give uh, my own kind of, uh, you know, spiel here is that I think that Terra's you know, big announcement of acquiring Bitcoin is a really, really uh, historic, you know, moment of trying to kind of 
bridge the gap between the purest, you know, Bitcoin community and the the DeFi centric, you know, all these different chains and and DeFi protocols. And for what it's worth, Frax also uh, acquires about uh, a million dollars of, of BTC starting recently, about every week. In fact, Frax has a small but growing uh, BTC reserve. It is in WBTC because we're uh, Ethereum native. But one of the cool things is that uh, we're really interested in working with uh, you know chains like like Stacks and and things like that to make the ownership of the Frax protocols Bitcoin uh, non custodial, uh, right? And and so the the most important thing is is this next question of how do algorithmic stablecoin protocols use Bitcoin as essentially uh, digital gold for their reserves, the same way that you guys were talking about Terra doing this, but working with the, the most bleeding edge Bitcoin protocols like Stacks, uh, you know, maybe like RSK and, and things like that to essentially have the stablecoin protocols itself own the the BTC uh, in in some kind of like multi-sig threshold signatures or smart contract signatures rather than just having like a a physical foundation have the Bitcoin in in their address or something that could uh, you know get subpoenaed or, or sanctioned or or have have some kind of injunction. So I wanted to you know introduce myself, introduce uh, Frax. We're we're really also interested in in doing this with uh, with Stacks. In fact, when I learned about Stacks originally. Um, Munib was really gracious and, and kind and, and replying to a lot of my skeptical questions about about the Frax, uh, at the Stacks tech stack. And I actually, the more I read about it, the more I realized how uh, Stacks is probably one of the coolest, if not the coolest, uh, kind of Turing complete ecosystem that's that's going on uh, for for Bitcoin. So I'm extremely extremely excited to kind of see see where this new chapter of stablecoin design using BTC as, as kind of digital gold for, for their reserves goes. So, so thank you. This is, thank you this so is awesome, Sam. Great, great to hear this. Uh, I think, I think I, I should have uh, kept up with some of the progress you've made recently, but uh, to be honest, like I haven't. So it's great to hear that, you know, the, the, the project is, is growing and you guys are the second largest after Terra. Uh, so I think you've kind of like hit the nail here that the biggest uh, problem that these decentralized stable coins are going to face in the future is going to be potential regulations, right? So it, it is actually very important that you are able to to actually decentralize your reserve, right? And over there, uh, there are a couple of pretty exciting things that are coming up recently. Uh, there, there's a project that came out. It's called uh, MultiSafe, which is think of that as kind of like Genosis uh, uh, on Ethereum, uh, but it's it's Stacks based. And uh, one of the cool things about Stacks is that uh, you can actually use a Bitcoin. This is a separate thing, but you can actually use a Bitcoin multisig wallet to hold your Stacks. And we are working on trying to extend that functionality to Stacks based assets as well. Right. So which means, in my view, like Bitcoin multisigs are by far the most secure thing on the planet. So if you can actually own a stablecoin on a Bitcoin multisig and then move it around, like even transfer it but by just doing a Bitcoin transaction, that's actually a very, very secure way of doing that. But that, that, that's something which is, which is going to come up 
later on. But the other other thing is decentralization aspect of it. Like, how do you have these almost like you know lockers with anonymous uh, people who can actually just sign uh, transactions there? And I think I think that functionality is, is like Stacks is still relatively new, right? Like it's only been live for a year and two months, really. So I think some of those building blocks are coming up. But we would love to kind of like explore this more because uh, we have we have Philip here, uh, founder of Arcadico. Maybe we can uh, ask him to hop on the chat as well because I actually think that uh, more stable coins are extremely welcome in the Stacks ecosystem because they they can they can be super helpful. Like even with uh, uh, Philip, you can come and correct me if I'm wrong, but even with things like USDA, uh, it can help with the peg of USDA itself if there is some other stable coin that can be used uh, as, as, as collateral. Right? So we, we, would, we would really welcome uh, more and more stable coins right now and, and maybe, maybe get a head start. Uh, so I'll, I'll love to follow up with you uh, after this. Yeah, one hundred percent. In fact, you know, we have an extremely good relationship with with Terra. I was actually just talking to Doe uh, literally uh, yesterday, and like you said, the more stable coins in in the Bitcoin ecosystem, the better. Um, you know, Frax has multi billion dollar collateral. You know, and, and liquidity. Terra has fifteen billion in supply. There's a small and growing. Uh, ecosystem of of Bitcoin stable coins, you know, on stacks, and the the really cool thing here is all of our pegs and and our stability is actually stronger with deep liquidity of you know more stable coins together, right? And and so I think the most important kind of large picture thing going on right here is that stablecoin issuers are kind of like the the digital decentralized central banks of of like this new digital economy and it's really obvious that that BTC is essentially the the, the digital gold right as as everyone knows and it's just like how analog central banks right have have gold reserves and it's becoming you know more and more important in in today's climate to have you know things self custodied and and not uh, in other you know, entities custodial control. I think there's a really, really important collaboration on, on the technology here between you know the biggest algo stable coins like like Terra, like Frax, with uh, Stacks and and the and the big uh, Bitcoin you know community in terms of all this stuff. So, uh, would be great to follow up. So, thanks so much for for having me on and, and really excited about the future. Yeah, Sam, hold on. We're, we're gonna you're you're now a part of this conversation, but thank you as well, Philip. You sure, just joined I'll, the stage. I'll stick around. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah stay, stick around. I, I have a question for you too, but uh, I want to make sure Philip gets his comments in from Arcadico. Welcome to the stage. Hey guys, uh, thanks for having me. Um, just wanted to comment that I uh, agree with most of what has been said. Um, that pegging, uh, we are, by the way, USDA, a crypto collateralized stablecoin, so it's not algorithmic. We have kind of like a maker model, but on stacks. Uh, we accept XBTC, stacks, um, and in the future other tokens as collateral type. Uh, wanted to comment a bit on, on Manip's comment about the peg. Um, to be completely fair to both Frax and Luna, I think they have an amazing model where they can rely on just their own design to keep the peg. Unfortunately, we don't have that. We are more like a maker where ultimately I think we need to rely on a basket of other stables to peg against. And in that light, what Brittany said earlier, it is important for us that 
multiple stables and preferably decentralized stable coins come um, yeah come to stacks such as frax such as maybe a ust um, so i'm definitely looking forward to that uh, something like curve is definitely needed on, on stacks i believe as well because uh, for those not familiar with curve it's it's basically a stable swap concept where people can bribe literally uh, for liquidity or protocols rather bribe for liquidity and they they can incentivize their users to say, please send that much uh, liquidity to the pool. And, and that way it's easier for new stables and, and stable coins that grow quickly to keep their back against others. And so if we would have a model like that for, say, a pool of USDA, USD and Frax, like a three pool kind of thing, that would be amazing because then the people who want to collateralize their assets can just use USDA. People who want to algorithmically mint, they can use the Frax or the Luna model. Um, so there's something for everyone. Um, so I believe, obviously, also tying into Bitcoin, um, I haven't spoken about Bitcoin, the asset. I'm just speaking about purely keeping the peg. There could be novel use cases, such as Hank uh, explained earlier. I'm literally talking about, can we keep the peg in that sense? And, and I believe that would be a viable solution. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, wanted to add that. Awesome, Philip. That's really helpful. And I just want to add one other thing, Sam, uh, for you and also for the audience, which I found really, really cool recently. And this was I was I was talking to Jamil, who is the founder of the SX, uh, STX NFT marketplace, and he said that because of the lightning swaps that are live, he's already buying STX through the Cash App. I was like, what? Like that? That is that is so amazing. And then I thought about it, and it makes so much sense. Cash App already has Lightning, and Stacks already has Lightning swaps enabled. So you could actually literally just open up Cash App and purchase STX. But that's not where you stop, right? If you want, if you get your stablecoin on Stacks, suddenly you can get exposure to every Cash App user. Uh, because they would just open their cash app, they would use the lightning feature to actually purchase your stablecoin, and then when they have it, they can they can go and start using it. So I think this this thing about deep integrations with Bitcoin, it actually automatically comes with integrations with existing Bitcoin infrastructure like Cash App out there, right? Which which could be immensely helpful in in the actual on ramps for new users and getting them into into these protocols. And I, I just wanted to to point that out. This thing is not getting enough attention at all. And I think we should write like a proper blog post or a demo about it. Yeah, and, and that's a great be doing that's that. a great point. Right. I also just want to add here is like I think it would be an absolutely killer combination to kind of have this kind of teamed up view of like decentralized algorithmic stable coins like like Frax, like Terra, is essentially getting on the Bitcoin ecosystem, whether they're like Cash App, consumer side facing, but also on the back end protocol using Stacks technology to just uh, essentially get a lot of BTC reserves, right? Like Frax as a protocol has over $150 uh, million uh, of, of revenue per year. It's actually very, very big. And, and like I was saying, we uh, are starting to accumulate uh, about one to two million dollars worth of uh, WBTC per week as as part of our our reserves, and that will quickly, very quickly, add up and, and ramp up the more frac stablecoin usage there is. So, like, this is a very, very synergistic and positive sum thing that uh, 
both Frax and, and Terra can do. So I'm, I'm actually really excited about this. Absolutely. And, and imagine that if instead of uh, buying WBDC, you're buying BDC, like suddenly, you know, people would give you the sale of treatment, right? Like, <laughs> it's like, oh, you are actually uh, one of the people who is buying Bitcoin on, on, on a regular basis. So you suddenly have the goodwill of the entire Bitcoin community behind you, minus some of the maxis who would never be happy, but we can, we can ignore them. <laughs> exactly right, and 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 I think honestly, even even the most kind of die-hard you know Bitcoin uh, m- you know maximalist or, or purists, there's a certain elegance to having you know a, a digital central bank algorithmic stablecoin being a purist user of uh, BTC. So we're e- we're even getting there. I think I think we'll we'll probably be able to you know, uh, get 90 plus percent of uh, hopefully approval of, of the, you know, even the purist community. That's exciting. And Manit, to your point, I was literally texting uh, backstage about wanting to write a blog post about this particular subject, supporting exactly what you've said, that this is not talked about enough. So I will put that out uh, in coordination with everyone here on stage and a few others soon as well. Looks like we just had uh, someone drop. I think we're about at time, unless we have one more question. I'll see if there's anything else. Um, that being said, everyone, thank you very much for joining today. Again, another plug for uh, Bitcoin Unleash and the Stack Summit, which will be taking place in Miami April 5th and 6th. Make sure to get your tickets and join all of us there. We'd all love to see you in real life. And again, appreciate each and every one of you as a part of this community. And thank you all for joining this week's edition of Crypto Internet Show talking about Bitcoin-backed stable coins. If you want to tune in live, ask questions, or join the conversation, be sure to follow Stacks on Twitter and tune in every week at 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific on Wednesdays for more. Until then, everyone have a great day, good evening, good morning, wherever you may be in the world. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you, everyone.